Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, listeners, Brad Kearns back with Tanya Teshka after our wonderful opening podcast uh, covering the book, The Bordeaux Kitchen. And now we get to catch up again from all the way across the globe with this perfect video audio connection. Thank you very much, Skype. How are things going over there across the ocean, Tanya? Oh, fine. Thanks, Brad. It's nice to be back on with you. Uh, Bern, Switzerland is your base there, right? That's right. It's the capital. It's small. <laughs> capital of the small, beautiful country of Switzerland. I tell people that's on my list if I were kicked out of America, which is always possible. I would go to Switzerland or New Zealand. Those would be my top two. Switzerland's neutral, so that's good. That's handy. But they have a lot of agreements with Europe. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, it's European, but it's also neutral. And it's got all of Europe's water. Really? So um, that's something to think about. You know, the Alps, um, the, if, if the raindrop falls on the north side, it goes to northern Europe. And on the south side, it goes to southern Europe. And that's Europe's water is, is the pretty much is the Swiss Alps. Wow. Cool trivia to know. It's like the <laughs> continental divide yeah. in America. That's neat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also such a beautiful country. It seems like they have a wonderful commitment to health there in many ways, including the... Um, you know, the support of the, the government to help the general population be healthy, get excellent medical care, education, all those wonderful things that we have that um, uh, sometimes the uh, the politicians in the USA fight about and then don't make it happen for the, the larger population. I know it's more difficult here, but um, we're going to we're going to we'll stay away from the politics side. But I wanted to talk to you about some cultural aspects of uh, living in Europe, Switzerland, and also all the French connection that you have that came out uh, as the centerpiece of the book, and see if we can uh, unearth some uh, tips and tricks and techniques and inspiration, uh, because there's so many things that are out of balance and that we complain about uh, in American life uh, in terms of our commitment to health and the primal living, the conventional wisdom that has uh, ruined our health for decades, and also, in my opinion, the cultural aspects uh, like the fast food, the explosion of the fast food industry, uh, destroying the fabric of the American family that was the sit-down, home-cooked meal prepared together. Great book called Fast Food Nation that I try to mention often uh, as part of the part of the problem here is that we have so much convenience, so much luxury. Yeah. We have the big box stores availing us to giant quantities of these processed foods, and then we don't have to uh, go down to that farmer's market that's highlighted in your uh, Bordeaux kitchen book trailer. And oh my gosh, it looks like such a cool lifestyle to go and, you know, visit with your community and connect and choose these foods all the time. So we talked about that a little bit in the last book. But yeah, if we could open it up and just um, talk about some of the things that you really enjoy about uh, the European culture that uh, that seems healthier than our, you know, traffic jam, hectic pace uh, operation here in the States. Yeah, well, you know, there's um, there's still this focus on uh, family getting together, um, and you know, in Europe, uh, it varies from country to country. But uh, you know, certain countries will have the siesta where they'll close down in the middle of the day. Um, but something like the the 
the closing hours of stores. Um, you know, you don't go to a store uh, at midnight here, and stores are closed on Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me. On like um, in in France and in Switzerland, pretty much the stores are closed. You can't get your you can't get groceries. So you sort of have to plan your day and your weekend, for example, if you're going to go get groceries, to do it on Saturday before five, usually, because they close early. Um, and for example, in Germany, they'll have what they call long Thursdays, where they'll be open, a, you know, an hour longer on, on Thursdays, um, so that people can shop, you know, <laughs> after work. But, um, you know, there's still that that notion of um, private time or, you know, there, there are limits to things. Um, we do have, you know, in Switzerland and in, uh, in France, all over Europe, they have the big stores like Ikea and, you know, that kind of thing. But they're, you know, they close. They close at certain hours and they're not open Sundays. And um, so for that, you know, you, you really kind of structure your weekend to have Sundays off. Um, and what happens usually is you go see, you know, your grandmother, um, and have a, have a, a meal. So a lot of the grandmothers, at least in France are still cooking for their families. And it used to be more often, but now people kind of relegate that to the weekend, you know, a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, sitting around the table with the the good meal and and maybe the glass of wine. <laughs> Incredible, and I'm thinking about those uh, closing hours and the, the 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 Sundays off. And I I'm guessing that uh, possibly what happened here in America, the land of uh, profit, incentive, and competition, is that somebody figured out, hey, just think, if I stay open on Sunday, I am going to clean up because I'll be the only store open, and I'll right. I'll get ten percent. Uh, increase revenue that'll make my shareholders happy, and now we'll just march full steam ahead. And you have uh, some of these backstories of companies like Walmart. You know, they're chronicled in books about how they, you know, went like a bulldozer and just took out the mom and pop stores from small town communities across America, and they're heavily criticized for that. And then on the other side, people are saying, "Well, wait a second, they're employing millions of Americans and uh, increasing the economic wealth of our country." But you do have that trade off. I mean. Uh, if you want to go shopping Sunday and that's your big day to go to the mall and, and uh, you know, return stuff that you bought online or look at look at new stuff and get more cool stuff, um, it's a sacrifice to know that everything's closed. But yeah, failing that, then you have all these other opportunities that you avail yourself to, especially uh, kids. And I know you have those young children that, um, you know, are maybe uh, less vulnerable to the massive overdose of screen time and lack of physical activity that we're for, faced with here in America uh, for, for many strange reasons. One of them is that uh, overly fearful neighborhood uh, concept where you don't want your kid walking five minutes to the park anymore because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a story on the news last week about uh, an incident somewhere that was, you know, magnified and uh, over-dramatized so that we can all, you know, remain in fear. I wonder if that right. sort of mentality is uh, still not yet swept across Europe. Well, you know, it's interesting. In Switzerland, you see the little kindergartners and preschoolers just on our street walking up to school in the morning by themselves or in little groups. <laughs> kindergartners? Imagine yes, that. Yes, they are oh tiny. Gosh. And they're just, well, usually they're in at least two of them, you know, siblings walking up um, 
to their little school, which is, you know, just a few blocks away. I mean, we're in a nice uh, kind of suburban, just outside Bern community. Uh, I can't say necessarily the same thing for for uh, everywhere in France, though in Bordeaux, kids could walk to school and do walk to school on their own. Um, we accompanied our children, uh, and, and, and now they take the school bus. But, but it's true that, um, you know, if you have less access to stuff, uh, 24-7, then you're going to have more time for other things, and you're going to have less stuff. And I try to just keep, you know, we call it the 10 minutes a day rule, which sometimes turns into 30 minutes, but, um, you know, on the iPad or whatever, but it's always in airplane mode, uh, a la Mercola. Mm. We always, unless they need something to access something for, for homework. And I'm always dismayed when the teachers send home homework on the computer. Um, it, you know, what's something they could be doing with pencil and paper. Uh, luckily it's very limited so far, but, um, you know, the, the, the iPad, I mean, it's so, so addictive, you know, here I am telling them not to look at it and I'm on my computer all day long. So it's, it's really hard to, um, it's hard for them to, to understand, but we're not, we're not as bombarded, I think here, uh, in, in Europe, uh, you know, by all of the, yeah, just the stuff because the access is a little more limited. And um, something also I have to say, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, uh, you know, at least in Switzerland, um, the government, not to get into politics, but the government does subsidize the farmers to, so that they may have real stewardship of the of the land. You know, you come to Switzerland, it's beautiful, but why? It's because they... They, they prioritize keeping, keeping the landscape as it is, you know, the, the cows in the field and uh, out to pasture. And, for example, you know, we'll, to get our eggs, we go to a local farm where there's a little hut across the street from the farm. And you just go in. It's the honor system. You put your francs, your Swiss francs in a little box uh-huh. and take the eggs that you, you know, you can bring your own boxes or they'll have boxes. Sometimes they'll have potatoes or apples or whatever, you know, and, um, uh, and you can go visit the, the chickens They're there. They have a mobile hen house, you know, so that moves from pasture to pasture. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a, uh, an example of, um, how the land here is stewarded and cared for and, you know, it's just a matter of, of priority, priorities, you know, um, and people, I think, value that. And, and um, it's, I think, losing ground in a lot of uh, countries where, you know, for example, mm. uh, in Germany, or no, I guess it's France, that they don't, they don't allow um, butchering at home. Like, you can't have the farm pig or your, you know, uh, you can't go get a pig, slaughter it, and then butcher it at home, which is what my family uh, used to do in Germany. And I think you're still allowed to in Germany. Um, so that's, you know, an example of how things are changing. And I would say not for, for the better, you know, because of sanitation rules or whatever neighborhood rules. And 
um, it just becomes, uh, you know, like in the States, sort of just uh, fear-based, it seems. It's a lot, a lot based on, you know, well, we're afraid of microbes. We're afraid of, uh, we don't want to kill animals. Well, I, I don't want to either. I'm very grateful for the farmer who does that for me. Um, and of course, the farmer doesn't like to do it, but it's a matter of, you know, that's his, that's his work and he's committed to it. And, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the cycle of life that we're in. Right. So we're exporting fear and things are leaking over and dripping over there into the, the cultural, uh, mindset in the, uh, in, in Europe. And, uh, I'm also curious about things like the general daily activity level of the population. We can talk about the mm. commitment to fitness mm-hmm. and then on, on the, uh, on, a, on a different note, what about the general daily movement patterns and how you see that comparing to, um, you know, the suburban uh, soccer mom carpooling her kids, uh, you know, six-tenths of a mile to school in the morning, picking them up, <laughs> driving them to uh, the mall, then to soccer practice, and, you know, uh, how that compares to what people are doing on a daily basis. I know they're walking to the farmer's market, so they got plus points for that, right? Definitely, definitely walking when when people can. Uh, they'll go. Uh, you know, I would do that too in Bordeaux. I would walk um, to the to the market or take the tram. Sometimes you take the tram if it's too far. Uh, people bike to the market. Um, here in Bern, people will who live in the city. They'll go to the market. Um, you know, on foot if they they live uh, not too far away. But you know, on the weekends. Uh, whether it's uh, in Switzerland or in France or in Germany, which are countries I'm more familiar with, uh, people get out on the weekends. You know, they go for hikes. There are, and there are entire series of books uh, about walks you can take with children in the vineyards of Bordeaux or, uh, you know, in the mountains of Switzerland or, um, you know, people are People are out and about. I mean, I see people walking their dogs all the time. So if they need a reason, you know, they they have a dog, so they go for their walks. Um, And uh, people, I think people try to walk when they can. uh, But there are, you know, there are a lot of traffic jams here, too. uh, And there certainly were in Bordeaux, a lot of traffic jams. uh, uh, But, you know, they try to governments try to the local governments and city governments try to encourage um uh you know public transportation use or they have those rentable bikes which a lot of people use to get around the city and it's and they even have certain days where uh no cars are allowed in into the city uh of bordeaux into in certain in a certain section and um to kind of keep the air clean and um, that's usually usually a weekend, I think, because it's tough to you know tough to do during the work week. Um, but people, I think, try to make an effort. Though more and more, you'll see uh, people um, who need um, you know need the the what are those things called where they're kind of riding in a, a motorized um, vehicle to just to get through the the grocery store. It's, it's rare that I see that, uh, whether, you know, here in Switzerland or in, in, 
in France, but, you know, it comes up every now and then. And, uh, but, you know, I was looking uh, on Target the other day just to see what they have, you know, online. And I noticed that there were a lot of oversized clothes for children, which is something new to me. Uh, and I, um, I just, you know, I don't see uh, quite the same percentage of um Let's, shall we say, overweight people uh, in Europe, as as you see in the U.S. And it's really, uh, it's really tough, especially when you know you see children. Oh, the uh, statistics, the statistics support that that uh, there is a, you know uh, a great significant different great significant difference in uh, the, the rates of uh, obesity in in children, uh, Western Europe and uh, United States and. Uh, I did some work uh, years ago with the California Center for Public Health Advocacy in Davis, California, Dr. Harold Goldstein, executive director there. And one of the uh, insights that he offers up is that uh, the the increasing soda habit alone of American kids mm-hmm. is largely is a, is a huge factor in the rising rates of obesity. In other words, the graph can show that increased soda consumption uh, coming along and, and uh, uh, joining the graph for increased rates of obesity. So just those little things that, you know, become so pervasive. Uh, my friend Tom Torlickson, who's now the superintendent of schools in the state of California, he was, when he was a senator, he was involved in the passing of this bill. I think it was called AB31, where they wanted to get the soda machines out of the actual school campuses oh. across the state. And it was a huge revenue provider because Coca-Cola or whatever company would come in there, drop the machine uh, in the cafeteria for free and give the school a 15, 20% commission on all the sales for doing nothing except nodding their head and saying, sure, go ahead and service our school. And uh, then they changed to juices. And so like, you know, you're going from a, a Coke can, which has what, 30 grams of sugar. And then the orange juice can has 25 grams of sugar. And it's like, uh, people were so far out of the loop about how destructive this was to uh, to the to the young population, and I think we're you know we're, there's there's so many signs of uh, a little better awareness and and concern in the other countries. Another thing that really caught my eye was reading this article. I can't remember if it was uh, Denmark or Holland, uh, you know, a sexually progressive country known everyone knows that, uh, and they uh, revealed that the teenagers were. Uh, engaging in sex uh, at a significantly earlier age than American teens. However, they had much less uh, uh, downsides uh, in terms of unwanted pregnancies and uh, uh, disease rates and things like that. In other words, they were, because the culture was so progressive and open, they were more responsible about sex, even at a young age, than here in America, where we try to suppress that and we have uh, people you know, speaking out uh, furious uh, of, uh, you know, the the dispensation of condoms to young people and and dispensation of sex, basic sex education. And so what happens is, yeah, we hold them off for (laughs) a year and a half or two, and then we get into big trouble because uh, of the repression and lack of education or respect for, you know, realities. Yeah, that kind of goes back to also what I was saying last time about the the drinking taboos. Um, You know, you grow up, you grow up with, you know, wine or alcohol on the table. It's just kind of part of the the culture. It's not really a big deal. Um, and then, you know, when you're 18, it's not it's not the time to throw that big party. So you can finally swig down your first 
bottle of beer or wine, you can actually, I mean, they have a drinking age of 16, I think, in most of Europe uh, for, for beer and that kind of thing. I think you may have. Really? 16? Yeah. But I think wow. you have to be 18 to buy it, something like that. Um, well, there's and, another, you know, eyes wide open to reality. That's hilarious. I mean, you know, the drinking age is 16. You have to be 18 to buy it. So I guess those, you know, those older dudes uh, have a really good angle on on being the boyfriend there if they got the, you know, they got the they got the two year yeah, advantage there. But it's not, you know, it's not the same taboo, and it's not the same um, thing where you're just just waiting and dying to get this this. This, get off the leash um, because you serve it's part of the culture. You know, they had cafe culture long before Starbucks came along in the U.S. Um, you know, and kids would just go to the cafe. I'm not saying that having caffeine for, you know, young teenagers is a good idea, but, you know, a place to gather other than a mall, for example, you know, a place that's sort of social, it's uh, safe, uh, at least in the past, um, you know, Kids like in in Paris, um, I when I was studying there in in ninety one, I stayed with a family, and the the daughter was younger than I was. She was a teenager, but she would go out with her friends to meet them at a cafe. You know, it was uh, this cafe culture. You know, um, very no no taboos around just meeting with friends, and uh, you know, and and so with the alcohol, uh, the, you know, the wine consumption, it's not this. Thing that you've been waiting your whole life to do. It's something you've grown up with, and same same thing with, you know, just just the uh, the the tradition of food. Um, though I have to say, to my great disappointment, you know, so many families, whatever their uh, background in in France, uh, for example, are really reliant on the. Uh, you know, on, on the supermarkets or on the quick meals, on the even, you know, the quick snacks, uh, the fast sugar, uh, even uh, more and more, you know, the the sodas and that kind of thing. And it, it, it's just because, you know, our, our system is set up for that. Uh, and it's easy to buy things. And, uh, you know, these these quick sugars are ubiquitous. And everyone's busy, you know, and, and the priority is, well, I, you know, I need to have time to do my email and check Facebook and, uh, run my kids to this and that. Um, one thing that, that I've tried to do, um, not that it's the panacea, but you know, the, <clears throat> the whole tiger mom, excuse me, idea where you say no to everything. Um, you know, I try to limit, um, a you know, we don't need play dates because I have two girls and they play together. Uh, so those are kind of rare, but also the activities after school, because frankly, the girls come home and they're, you know, they need to just recharge. So we do a couple of things, uh, uh, a week, but, um, I, I really don't want to be a soccer mom. In fact, I don't even drive here. I have put that out of my, you know, thing that I do. I don't, I don't drive public transportation is is good. And we have luckily, thankfully, a, a, a little school bus service. Um, so I can kind of avoid that right now. In Bordeaux, we walked the girls to school. So that was, you know, very, very nice um, to be in such proximity. Not everyone has that luxury. And I, I definitely understand that. But, you know, 
walk or bike whenever you can. I mean, that's, that's sort of my, uh, my main way of getting exercise really in, in Europe. But there are, there are also, in case you're wondering, um, fitness studios (laughs) as they call them. Uh, so people can, you know, go to a fitness studio and do their chronic cardio. Um, but I think a lot of people, we live, you know, on the outside of town now and people just walk or run. Actually, I'm, I'm the walker there. Everyone else is running or they're walking their dogs. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about that when you said that the weekends uh, people go and, and hike on the trails and you see people walking their dogs. And of course you see the same thing here in America and you go to the trailhead on a warm, sunny Saturday morning uh, and you'll, you'll uh, be surprised because, oh my gosh, there's, there's a zillion people here. There's a hundred cars in the parking lot. And then you have to uh, reflect for a moment that, uh, like w- when I'm when I'm headed up Reseda Boulevard in uh, in Los Angeles on a weekend and see you know these dozens and dozens and into the hundreds of cars parked uh, accessing the trailhead Mulholland Drive in the Santa Monica Mountains and then I think oh I forgot there's two million people that live you know in proximity to this trailhead so 150 cars or or 300 cars is a drop in the bucket and percentage wise it's pretty pathetic. Like there should be twice as many people out. So when you say you see a lot of people hiking uh, or, or jogging or walking their dog, um, how does it compare to the, uh, the overall population density? Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. You, you don't see as many as you could. That's true of people out and about. Though I do give the Europeans a lot of credit for because the stores are closed, perhaps, Um, But also that culture of, you know, as soon as the winters are long and as soon as the sun comes out, boy, people are out there, uh, you know, on the on the riverbanks or the beaches or in the parks. And luckily, there are a lot of parks um, in in all the cities throughout Europe. Um, But, you know, another thing about Europe is that it's so compact and it was it's smaller. You know, in the U.S., we had pioneers. We had a lot of space. We moved from one place to the next. And, you know, then it had the railroad and then cars. And then you need, you know, highways and you can't really get anywhere without a car. Right. And um, but in Europe, you know, there was always it started out maybe thanks to the church, for example. You know, you've got the church and then you have uh, a few houses and then the town just kind of grows from that. Um, so you have real town centers, uh, so you can walk, you know, and then of course you have the suburban areas. So you need a car to get into town or, or you use, uh, which most, most European towns have cities have is public transportation or bikes, you know, and some European cities are well known for their biking and, um, uh, you know, that's, that's, it's just a, a matter of size or, or, uh, distance, you know, I know I recognize because I also lived in suburbia in the, in the U S in California and Connecticut that, uh, you know, things are far apart and you can't really get places without a car often, you know, you're not always in the center and even the center might not have everything that you need. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of, of, um, Europe, you know, like I said, being kind of more com- compact. So by, by nature of the geography, you know, p- 
people people are sort of forced out more. But it's true that I think uh, more people rely on their cars now. Uh, though I have to say, you know, in in France, in Germany, in Switzerland, the railroad uh, is also, you know, the trains are fantastic. And uh, when they're when they're running, often in France they have strikes, um, <laughs> but they're pretty reliable otherwise. And certainly in Switzerland and and Germany, um, but you know people take the train. They'll take the train and they'll go to the bottom of a mountain here in Switzerland and take a gondola up, and they're on their they're on their way. So you you can do things without a car, and you know getting a license here is very expensive driver's license uh in europe in general you know you have to take special classes and it's a big expense and a big deal uh and it's the age is usually 18 um later than in the u.s so that kind of cuts your consumption too by two years you know teenagers have to wait till they're 18 to to be able to drive on their own There's a lot of talk about that. It has been over the years because of the accident rate. And mm. now there's this rule in California where you can still get your license at 16, like always, but you can't drive any friends of yours until you've had your license for a year. So you have to drive around solo. So we'd have this uh, act on my son's basketball team when they drive to uh, a ball game that they, every kid was pulling into the parking lot in their own car after a 15-minute drive from one high school oh, to the wow. next because they needed to get to the game. Uh, you know, perhaps the parent wasn't going or whatever, but they're all getting out of, you know, 11 cars instead <laughs> of, uh, you know, some, some guy driving four of his teammates. But, you know, that's, it's, I think it's a good safe, uh, safe attribute. And all those things you mentioned, uh, the, the different uh, laws and the shepherding of the land, it, you know, it makes for... Uh, a lot of rewarding elements of uh, society and culture there. So nice to compare and contrast a little bit. And the other thing that I wanted to get into on the show, uh, doing knowing that we did the first show about the book and about your your journey to uh, the, the exploration of French culture, wine, and uh, ancestral health, uh, but you've also you know largely come into this realm due to your own health struggles and your awakenings of you know what was what was working for you and what wasn't. So. I thought we'd talk a little bit about how that's going today, you know, where you've come from, what you're still dealing with and battling and, and uh, investigating in terms of uh, getting, uh, getting all the way back to health. Wow. Well, it's a, it's a, I have a whole, you know, laundry list of issues that I'm working on <laughs> um, and that I have been working on for a long time. But yes, you know, I came to this uh, ancestral approach, uh, you know, looking for health answers that I wasn't, I wasn't really getting from the, as we say, allopathic medical world. And, um, you know, like I said, um, I think last time I heard about, uh, David Perlmutter's book, you know, grain brain, and then this whole idea of not eating grains and, um, and and just the whole idea of of carbs disturbing one's uh, you know blood sugar and that kind of thing, and I you know I just would investigate it. One thing led to another, and and you know the, I've realized that health kind of is comprised of many 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 different 
aspects that we're, you know, exposed to from everything from electromagnetic fields to uh, how our microbiome is doing to, you know, how we think and how we eat and just everything. So, um, but, you know, in my own uh, struggles, I've, I've tried, well, the other thing is I also wanted to feed my family uh, well instead of just the, the salmon and chicken breast. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, I was compelled to learn more. And as I learned more, I realized how little I knew and how much more I wanted to learn and needed to learn. Um, and, you know, at, at some point in Bordeaux early on, I was shown a recipe by uh, a good friend, uh, um, how to, how to cook chicken livers. And that kind of got me on this uh, road of, uh, the organ meats, um, and, you know, you hear about nutrient density and it's, it's, it's really a key component, I think, of, of health is to just, you know, there's an opportunity cost. If you're going to eat that big bowl of ramen or rice, well, you're displacing the nutrients from that you could be getting from, say, a bowl of liver. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I try to eat liver almost every day, actually, because it's the most nutrient-dense food. Um, so I, I practice what I, I preach in that sense. Um, but, you know, when we moved uh, to Bordeaux and I was feeling all these things like fatigue and depression and um, just moodiness and that kind of thing, um, you know, we I needed a multi-pronged approach for, for my health. And, um, so at this point, you know, I've now it's been several years and I've been working on kind of regulating the hormones. It's all about the hormones and I'm not just referring to sex hormones. It's all, you know, everything, the, uh, the, the food digestive related hormones and trans neurotransmitters and, um, uh, the, the, you know, adrenal, um, hormones, the HPA access and all of these things that you kind of have to, uh, you have to nourish and, and, um, kind of get into order. And I also, I, I found out at some point that I had parasites, which frankly, I think a lot of people do and don't know it. Um, and it's hard to, you know, I don't know if you can eradicate them. I think we all have a certain level of uh, parasites and, um, well, just, you know, if you listen to Natasha Campbell McBride, she talks about the the, fung, the fungi and the, the protozoan and the all the guys that are in your microbiome, you know, they, they kind of have to live in a in, in balance there. But I think the way we live with all of our stress and the way we eat and the way we rush around, we kind of lose that balance and me included, you know, and so it's been a journey. So go ahead. How do we, how do we lose that balance uh, between healthy intestinal bacteria and allow the invaders to come in? I've heard, you know, some, some one-offs that uh, sugar feeds the uh, the, the unhealthy uh, gut microbiome. Obviously, when we're drinking uh, water out of the gutter in a third world country, <laughs> we're going to uh, invade our system. 
but those nuances that I know you've uh, explored and studied, that's what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious about. Like, how does um, the, you know, repeated overstimulation of stress hormones uh, when you're during that busy, hectic day, uh, how does that, you know, directly uh, influence intestinal health and, um, you know, the, the presence of parasites that we all have or the parasites that are predominating, maybe, you know, use different terminology and say, yeah. um, you know, my, my parasites have taken over this year because I've had, um, you know, health challenges that have compromised my gut. But I'm wondering about some of those connections. Yeah, well, um, I mean, that's that's a really good question. And I mean, I'm not, you know, a nutritional advisor or, or scientist or anything like that. But um, I think, you know, the combination of our modern uh, world, starting from, you know, really, I know it's controversial, but vaccines. Um, I think even vaccines that the mother has received, um, you know, while she's pregnant or before she even gets pregnant, I think uh, that's one thing that knocks, you know, it knocks you down a few notches. And then kids, the vaccine schedule in the U.S. is insane. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the uh, European countries are are following, you know, just like they do, following the leader and um, to, to their detriment, uh, really, in my, you know, humble personal opinion. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that kind of thing, plus the, like I mentioned, the electromagnetic fields, you know, we're going to go to 5G soon and people aren't really educated and including myself, you know, in, in the real, what are these calcium transport chains that are affected by, you know, these magnetic fields? I, I don't really understand it, but I think it's real. Uh, and then, you know, the stress of trying to get everything wrapped up into one day, you know, the, the kids activities and the school starting early and there's work and all these projects and you got to maintain, you know, your, the house and pay the bills. And so I think all of these things and, and then crappy food, of course, and the sugar uh, dysregulation, uh, or mood dysregulation as a result of, you know, a, a nutrient deficiency is, is you know, I, I think we, we kind of get into that when we're, when we're, uh, relying on refined foods. Um, so all of these things come together, I think, and, and just, you know, they're just battering our, our, that, that nice, happy balance that we would have had, uh, or did have, you know, as, um, maybe paleolithic man or you know if you want to how depending on how far back you you want to go but um before all of these things and uh, you know even the 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 stress of um of the the lights you know at night we're always extending our mornings and our nights and uh i think that has a huge effect all and and so again i know i'm repeating myself but i think it's just the um, the combination of all of these things that, um, you know, just were, were battered down constantly by this lifestyle. It's so in disconnect with, uh, with how we evolved. And that's something, you know, the ancestral health society is always trying to, uh, explore. And I really, I really respect them for that, um, exploration. 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the simplest insights from pulling out of your commentary when you mentioned sleep is we know that the immune system works optimally during those stages of sleep, especially the deep sleep where the major repair goes down, uh, immune function and musculoskeletal, uh, and especially the gut microbiome is uh, optimizing and the good bacteria is flourishing and trying to knock out the bad stuff mostly or predominantly while you're sleeping. And so if you take a Mm -hmm. sleep aid, such as a prescription sleep drug, it'll knock you out just like a punch knocks you out, but it actually is known to interfere with those uh, efficient cycling through all the stages of sleep. Uh, And then we have this gut condition that's thankfully getting a lot of attention in the alternative health circles, but in many cases, when you go to your general physician, they're not checking anything that has anything to do with your gut health. No. You're just walking around with uh, a dysfunctional uh, gut bacteria, a, a permeability of your intestines. And so even your devoted efforts to eat healthy, uh, take supplements that are all you know going into this permeable intestine, uh, you're, you're asking for trouble. And so now there's, uh, I guess, uh, ways to enlighten and uh, get treatment for some of these conditions. But even... Even that uh, segment of the the health movement, I think, sometimes could take a few steps backward and realize that if an in, if an individual health enthusiast is not uh, cycling efficiently through all the stages of sleep, then a lot of their treatment protocols yeah. are are not going to succeed. And it's as uh, you know, it's as simple as that. That you just when you go down to sleep, your gut works better, and when your gut is compromised in in one way or the other. Um, you're you're going to have a real hard time getting healthy. Period. The serotonin yeah. story that uh, most of it is made in the gut, and how important that agent is for mood regulation and getting you that bright, fresh start to the day where you're uh, you're you know cognitively sharp and energetic, and all that stuff can can trace back to uh, the simplest of health practices and turning the corner, getting that light out out of the picture at nighttime. Yeah. Well, I think, and and for children, sleep is just, it's so crucial. And I think parents um, really ought to keep that in mind if if they aren't already uh, to to try to wean the the bright lights off of uh, the nighttime activity. Uh, I even got some um, some blue light blockers for my children, <laughs> but they... Um, uh, they they don't really they don't really wear them that much so we're we're working on that but i think for children especially you know if you can kind of get the message across that that you know when it's dark out you go to bed though of course in our modern day it's it's really hard to 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 do that um and to enforce that especially in the winter um but the sleep is you know trying to get the kids to bed early or on time rather, which, uh, it's a, it's a struggle, uh, for sure, but I think it, it really helps them in every way. And as it helps the adults, you know, uh, it certainly does. Yeah. The adults have time to unwind and relax, maybe enjoy some uh, foam rolling or other personal (laughs) endeavor that is compromised by trying to get kids to bed on time. Uh, I know there's that research about the teenage, uh, circadian rhythm 
and where they're an hour, they're repeatedly an hour off to the extent that they don't get tired on cue as an adult might at their regular bedtime of 10 p.m. And the, the teenage hormonal uh, situation uh, prompts them to uh, stay awake for an hour longer. Is that they're right? Sort of on this weird, I don't know that. Yeah, this weird 25-hour circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. So you know, they're, you're, you're trying to get them down at the same time every day and they just, uh, just don't feel, um, they're not feeling that same, uh, melatonin pulsing where you're, you're, you're actually getting sleepy. Uh, but then they have extremely hard time waking up in the morning because they need a lot of sleep and their, their sleep is compromised by late night habits. So, uh, it's, it's a battle against the, uh, you know, the, the, the natural hormonal situation and the uh, circadian rhythm. Uh, but you got to you got to do the best you can, and some of the schools, uh, progressive schools, you can find articles about these high schools that are uh, opening up at nine thirty, allowing Is all the kids right? to have a later morning. Excellent. Yeah, and then the the kid will um, you know comment back in the newspaper article. There was one in the Bay Area in particular uh-huh. where the kids are like, "Yeah, I just stay up later playing video games because I don't have to be at school in the morning," oh, and so no. defeating the purpose, right? but. You know, when you when you raise your consciousness about it and and make these efforts on a on a public scale level, like getting the vending machines out of the schools and um, you know starting a little bit later. And one of my profound insights from seeing my kids go through high school and struggling with just maintaining the energy and getting enough sleep is like, you know, if every other week all high schools took Wednesday off, mm. so the kids knew that like for every uh, uh, seven days of school they had that eighth day off to just chill and unwind and maybe catch up on their homework, uh, just have some time outdoors. Maybe they could, you know, take some pictures as an assignment of the the, the, the trail that they hiked on or the river that they went to. Um, you know, they, we'd be better off in so many ways, mm-hmm. but we're stuck with this, you know, industrialized lifestyle, especially, well, I, I mean, across uh, across all the developed nations. And boy, it's, you know, it's 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 counter to health. And it doesn't seem like, in general, we care enough about it unless we're in that, you know, small niche of the population that wants to wants to optimize and, and explore all these possibilities. Yeah, it's really hard to to be to want to step out of that system. I certainly recognize that, and remember also being tired every morning and all of my classmates, you know, in high school needing the caffeine, you know, whether it was in the form of a coffee, a warm coffee, or a cold soda. Um, suppository whatever they were doing yeah (laughs) yeah i mean Uh, one other thing that um i thought the listeners might be interested in uh is the author side so here you are you're immersed in the the health scene and one day you decide to write a book you talked a lot about that uh in the other show but now that you have this book it's about to come to market and i'm just wondering how does it feel right now to have this tremendous, massive amount of effort and struggle and, you know, the, the journey of the writer from the blank page? One day you opened up a computer, <laughs> imagine that, and there was a blank page, and now you have this 636-page beast that's <laughs> beast. Uh, for sale pre-order on Amazon right now. You can order the Bordeaux Kitchen. Uh, it, it, it came out to 636, but I think it was probably a 1,000 at one point when you <laughs> yeah. were working with all the, the raw material. Um, but what does it feel like now? And in, in, in terms of answering that question, tell us about this, this whirlwind 
trip to New York City where you answered one of your emails back like, hey, you only live once, so I'm going for it and I'm going to party hard there with all these great uh, events that you've set up. So what's it like being a first-time author about to explode to a New York Times bestseller level? Well, I certainly hope so. But it feels, uh, you know, I'm I, there's a, re- a sense of relief that the book is off to the press and uh, after, you know, four or five years of work, certainly a, a lot of relief. Um, but of course, I'm on to the next thing, which is uh, planning to shepherd this book into uh, the hands of many. You know, I, I, I want it, as I said before, a few times uh, last time, I, I want it to help people, um, uh, which is why I put in a really extensive resource list. And, you know, I've got all sorts of things that I I really want people to be able to to benefit from it as I have, uh, but you know it's it's exciting and um, uh, my kids are frankly relieved that I've finished writing it. They're getting sick of me being stuck in that <laughs> um, because sometimes I would you know I do the recipe and then I'd realize I need a photo for this recipe. So okay, we can't eat. I got to take this picture first and. Um, so that, that it's nice to have that pressure off because sometimes I didn't really feel like taking a picture, but I had to force myself to, uh, or whatever it was. Um, and as for, you know, now the, the New York launches, so I have two, two events and it's kind of like planning a wedding, um, except the groom, he's going to be over here, (laughs) uh, with the kids. Uh, he can't, he can't join me, but, um, uh, my husband, but anyway, you know, I'm planning this uh, party. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I don't, if I don't do it now, um, I'm I don't know if I'll ever do it. Uh, but I just want to celebrate the book and let as many people know about it um, as possible. And um, I, you know, we we lived in New York from 2000 to 2001, right before 9/11. We moved nine eight. So the, the 8th of September, wow. yeah. Um, and actually, we lived across from the armory, which ended up being the missing persons kind of collection area. Um, and uh, so, you know, New York has a special place, you know, in my in my heart. And I also went to, I lived there from the age of 12 until I went to college in, in Connecticut, so not far. So, you know, that sort of area is is, is uh, I, I know it fairly well. So that seemed like the right place to do it. Um, and, uh, hopefully, you know, people will, will join me and, and enjoy the, the launch of the book. And, but I, I hope to continue shepherding it and, um, um, maybe, you know, make some appearances in, in Europe, um, so anyway, that's all in the planning. But so right now I'm just reaching out to people, which I love to do. I love being in touch with people. And that's something that this book has really uh, helped me do, do something that I love, which is correspond with people, um, uh, talk to them, be in touch with them. Um, it's kind of a common ground uh, to, to connect with, with people and, and people whom I don't know but might have common interests with. So that's been a really 
rewarding part of this this whole uh, you know bookmaking and journey. <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's only getting started. Tanya, thank you so much for this uh, interesting conversation about all matters of uh, living in Europe versus versus America and the many aspects of health that you've explored that weave nicely into the book that's centered around French wine and culture, but uh, has so much to do with improving your health, not only the you know the nutrient quality of your diet, but bringing in these cultural aspects of healthy eating and sitting around the table and shopping and oh it's 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 great stuff i can't wait till we uh get that book out and and get the world uh you know diving into all the all the great material in there so congratulations for for finishing it and and good luck with all the promotional opportunities so this is uh mid june you're headed to new york for some frenchy style parties uh, <laughs> uh celebrating the book right yeah that's right yeah, I'll be. Um, I've got some Bordeaux wine lined up and some some uh, southwestern French uh, food, and um, and hopefully people who are into that kind of thing um, and cooking um, will will join me. Tanya Teshka, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for listening. This is your host Brad Kearns. Have a great day. Da, 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 da. Hi, listeners. It's Brad Kearns. I'm so excited to introduce you to our all-new, comprehensive, online multimedia course called the 21-Day Primal Reset. This is everything you need to go step-by-step into a lifestyle transformation and go primal. Go all in. Make the commitment. We are here with an amazing online course with over 60 videos taking you through step-by-step daily challenges in the areas of diet, exercise, and lifestyle. You also get to download an assortment of print and audio materials. We have an awesome app that helps you engage with the community while you're doing your 21-day reset, daily inspirational emails, keeping you focused, giving you tips and tricks. We have shopping list PDFs. Oh, it's a great collection of items all on the login portal as soon as you register instant and lifetime access, everything you need. What a great gift to give someone, family, friend, loved one that you want to share the gift of primal living with. And even if you're an expert long-term, what a great way to kind of tune up and get that reset going, build some momentum if your goals are reducing excess body fat, being healthy, and staying with the Primal program for the rest of your life. That's what this journey is, is a kickstart to generate long-term lasting lifestyle change. And when you enroll at primalblueprint.com, we have a wonderful selection of add-on product kits at an extreme discount to thank you for enrolling in the digital course. So you can throw in some wonderful Primal Kitchen products or Primal Blueprint supplements. Check it all out at primalblueprint.com. Everyone deserves a reset. You deserve a reset. Make the commitment for 21 days and we'll be with you every step of the way to guide you. 